Thanks, everybody. Uh, I'm Mita Marshall. I cover the communication software space here at Morgan Stanley. If some of these conversations from the last session can move outside, that would be helpful as we get started. Uh, at first, I'm going to read the disclosures. Uh, please note that all important disclosures, including personal holding disclosures and Morgan Stanley disclosures, appear on the Morgan Stanley public website at morganstanley.com slash research disclosures or at the or at the registration desk. Um, again, Rowan, CEO of Five9, thank, thank you, you so much for being here. here today. Uh, you know, I'm going to start the session with kind of the topic du jour um, of you know any potential Corona impact that you've seen, or just any changes in behavior that you've seen, just kind of in the the couple of weeks that we've been working through this. Sure. So at a high level, you know, uh, I'll just point out the vast majority, 92% of our business is U.S. Uh, domestic business, so certainly we're somewhat uh, more insulated than others from international exposure, whatever there would be on that front. Uh, you know, our business is um, uh, a cloud SaaS business, and I think from a business continuity perspective, there's definitely a perspective amongst the uh, customers that cloud-based software has the flexibility of letting people work from home. I think you've seen that recently with Zoom and some of the UC vendors, uh, UCAS companies. Uh, the same is true of the contact center. So these contact center environments are environments that, um, frankly, are like big rooms like this, yeah. um, probably like giant airplanes in a sense, um, where you know you wouldn't necessarily want to have your agents all consolidated in the environment of a in the, in the event of an outbreak or a pandemic. So uh, some of our uh, one of the benefits of Five Nine is the ability to have your agents actually work from home. You just bring mm -hmm. your laptop home and, and you can actually take calls and do your messaging and do everything that you can do in the office at home. So that's a sort of fundamental power of the cloud. We certainly haven't seen anything on the downside or upside, candidly, with this uh, with the, the more recent news around yeah. coronavirus. Um, so it's kind of business as usual for us. And um, I think the last thing I would say is we're by no means immune to global macro issues. Uh, we primarily sell on seats, uh, so seats in the contact center. We do tend to, in our contracts, limit the downside of that, the flex, uh, to around 15%. So, you know, even if we have customers that are uh, having issues, you know, we are sort of protected on the downside, but a third of our business is usage-based, and so you could certainly see fluctuations. We're not seeing that now, okay. um, but... Got it. Um, you know, Contact Center has moved up the awareness stack, you know, even in the time that I've been covering it to kind of the time that, you know, you guys have all been around over the past kind of couple of you know, now almost 10 years that Five Nine has been around. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, where do we think you, we are in the process of organizations realizing the value that Contact Center can add to their customer strategy? Well, you know, of the two big drivers of our market demand, customer service transformation is one of them. And, you know, you're, you did a great research report last year that showed that enterprise IT priorities number one on that list was customer right. service. And I think that's in part driven by, well, there's a number of factors, but one of them certainly is Gen Z and millennials' uh, preference for, you know, better service and better contactability and, you know, treat, treat me well and I like the experience as much as the product kind of uh, environment. Yeah. So that's certainly one driver. And we see that as this huge secular tailwind behind every business saying, oh, my God, we have got to do a better job with customer service. It's just mm -hmm. the, the way it used to be with crazy IVRs and, 
you know, long hold times, yeah. that just doesn't cut it anymore for large enterprises. And then the second really big tailwind for us is just the cloud transformation. Yeah. You know, the, we sort of were through this evangelization of like cloud actually can work. A, B, the infrastructure for doing real-time communications is now at a maturity level where it's relatively easy to put in mm -hmm. communications like cloud-based communication software. So that's, that's underlying a lot of the acceleration you've seen with Zoom and Ring, where it used to be sort of the exception that the customer would have enough networking bandwidth overhead and everything else that they needed to do communications over the top on, to the cloud. Yeah. Now that's pretty much the standard. And so, in fact, many companies have sort of even over-provisioned bandwidth and, and campus networking to the place where it's quite feasible to put in these over-the-top uh, communications products. So that we're seeing this wave now drive our industry as well. Got it. Um, and in, and tied into that and kind of tied into some of the research that we've done, you know, digital transformations tend to kind of be this trigger for customer service uh, or contact center upgrades, you know, or CRM upgrades kind of being, being the, the pain point that people are trying to address. You know, do you still see that being kind of the trigger point as we kind of continue over the next couple of years, and, and why has the system integrator been such like a, a critical piece of, of your business as well as kind of that decision-making process? Yeah, I, I think the, the impetus to improve customer service sort of, that's like the tip of the pyramid, has a lot of stuff underneath it. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of have to start out with like, well, we need to know more about our customer. And when the agent, is engaging with the customer, they need to have a complete view of that customer transaction because it's really bad service when you know you just returned a product and you call the company and, and they try to upsell you on something and they don't apologize for whatever problem you had. So you want to give them that insight and visibility into the customer and that starts with CRM. Mm -hmm. So CRM and contact center and all these things are all quite tightly tied into this overall picture and that's where the SIs have been really important. So as you, yeah. I think we've mentioned to you before, Mita, the you know, Deloitte is one of our front runners on that front, you know, doing over $10 million business with us. Um, they've built contact center into their digitization practice. The other SIs are, are certainly, I think, not far behind on that front um, and, and in their own ways are doing a lot of business, both with Salesforce and others. So I think we'll see continued uh, upside on that front. So we're really investing heavily in the SIs. And, and frankly, I think that what is also underlying this is a bit of the consumerization of IT that you've seen over the years where sort of tech-savvy line of business leaders have become much more empowered to make decisions and drive, you know, sort of business systems choices with the cloud. Mm -hmm. And that has resulted somewhat in a hollowing out of IT, uh, and not only from a budget perspective, but also from a skill set and influence perspective, where the LOB buyer has a lot more influence. This is just sort of a, a factor of what a modern company looks like. Yeah. Not to say that IT is less important, but the, the, the lines of business have become much more important and influential. That's our primary selling motion is to that line of business buyer, mm -hmm. actually not, not primarily to the, to the IT buyer. So you would say probably at this point 50% or more of sales are kind of determined by the line of business? Leader. For us, more than 50%. Okay. Yeah, it's our primary buying motion. Now, that's quite different than the UC and meetings, mm -hmm. you know, company uh, sort of software buyer who really is still the IT buyer. It is influenced increasingly by LOB, yeah. uh, meetings probably more than UC. Uh, but that's another valid and I think very interesting go-to-market for us is yeah. through the UCAS phone cycle upgrade. 
So big partnership on that front for us recently has been with Zoom. Yeah. Uh, you know, Zoom's emerged as like the 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 uh, the, the real I think longer term strategic competitive uh, challenger to to Ring, who has really run away and done a great job with the market. Uh, but we can sell to that motion as well, and they they actually need us. They need to have a contact center to go along with their phones. Got it. Um, and you know, you just mentioned Deloitte kind of being. $10 million worth of business or kind of contributing upwards of $10 million worth of business. Um, you've also announced relationships with IBM or E&Y. Can they be as big, you know, should we think of those relationships as being as large as Deloitte has been? Longer term, you know, absolutely. I think we're just at the, the real front end of this transition. So, you know, it's a globally a $24 billion category. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, south of 15% cloud penetrated at this point. So you've got another, you know, something just shy of a decade worth of upgrades of moving these premise-based contact centers to the cloud. Uh, and so I definitely think the SIs are going to be a lead, uh, a leading figure in that transition. But you're also, we are now starting to see the traditional UC and meetings bars mm -hmm. start to get into this game because they're actually seeing their their customers a trip to the cloud contact center companies and they're saying, oh, well, we need to get into that game. And they haven't been able to get offers from their uh, sort of legacy incumbent providers. And so they're coming to the table now as well as the service providers. And, and globally, the service providers are, I'd say, much more influential uh, and, uh, and important. So, so we're seeing sort of much more increased interest from the VAR channel and the SP channel not that's nothing that's probably material this year for us, but it's something that we're investing in. Okay, got it. Um, you know, you mentioned international markets kind of being more tied to maybe a service provider being the trigger for that, but just where are we in international adoption of kind of cloud contact center? It's been a laggard on the UC front. Yep. You know, how do you see it on the? It's cloud? the same on CCAS okay. for a few for a few reasons. One is I think uh, bandwidth deployment is one of those issues. I think also. There's more complexity on the regulation side mm -hmm. globally, and that's that's even been ramping up, and it's still a moving target with regards to GDPR and so on. So we're we're in the midst of investing in uh, public cloud infrastructure uh, investment, um, starting actually in Canada. So we've had quite a bit of interest in the Canadian market, um, and they want data centers in Canada. So we're giving it to them, <laughs> uh, but we're not doing that by our sort of deploying our own data centers. Uh, we're, we're leveraging public cloud, okay. and in this case, we're using GCP. So that's a, you know, we're making an upfront investment around Kubernetes and other infrastructure transitions from a technology perspective so that we can rapidly deploy to new regions and geos around the world mm -hmm. so that we can keep up with the expansion there. Got it. I mean, you mentioned... Like the competitive landscape has been very dynamic. You know, whether service providers want to get involved, whether UC guys are trying to get involved, whether CPaaS vendors are trying to get involved. You know, how do you see the competitive landscape transforming over the what has been kind of a point product space to you know everybody trying to come at it with a platform approach? I think uh, the two major factors here are the the traditional buying motion of communication software products, mm -hmm. and then the new buying motion of the LOB-driven, you know, sort of business priority of customer service, and like, well, we'll just take whatever cloud products we want to do that. And so both of those are happening. Yeah. 
uh, Salesforce, you know, I think most recently, you know, uh, made a big acknowledgement of that when they announced Service Cloud Voice, mm -hmm. which is a sort of a new interface for them to uh, engage with the contact center vendors like ourselves even more deeply. Mm -hmm. So we've leaned into that Salesforce relationship even more in the last six months or three months since the last Dreamforce um, and see a big opportunity just because that is a, I mean, they're the 800-pound gorilla driving digitization in yeah. most of these companies. But we're seeing equal interest from the other CRM vendors out there, including Microsoft, who we have recently struck up a new partnership with, uh, at, with their Dynamics business, and then also with their Teams UC business. So Microsoft is sort of shouldn't be counted out on the Teams UC on the UC side. Yeah. I think they've taken a detour into competing and trying to take Slack out with their messaging uh, initiative with Teams, yeah. but, uh, but I wouldn't count them out on the UC front. So I think you're going to see a continued movement of and even an acceleration of premise-based calling and meetings to the cloud, and that just has to drag, drag contact center along with it. So we want to leverage those incremental partnerships to us, so Zoom and Microsoft being the two most important. And then on the, on the sort of digitization front in that motion, it's really all about Salesforce, Oracle, uh, Microsoft with Dynamics, Zendesk, who we have a big partnership with, mm -hmm. and the attendant SI community that go around that. So Ian Y, you mentioned Slalom yeah. is another one who's a big uh, Salesforce dedicated partner. So we're seeing a lot of traction there. For us, it's like we want to go both, we'll go mm -hmm. hard on both, really. And so, I mean, that helps fill out kind of the people that are, you know, ancillary touching it, you know, but as far as UC vendors kind of introducing their own contact center solutions at the low end, maybe, yep. you know, a Twilio or, or such names kind of sure. getting in at the, at what you would consider more of the higher end of the market, just, you know, how do you see um, your space and being able to kind of uh, defend it Slash grow it. Yeah, so I frame out the competitive landscape in the following way. At the on the on the communication side of the go to market, you have the the UC companies, again led primarily by Ring, mm -hmm. uh, with their own contact center offers, or in U, in Ring's case notably with in contact bundled. Right. But eight by eight Vonage and these others have sort of built their own lightweight contact yeah. centers. We don't by and large see the UC vendors playing in our space. Yeah. That's for a couple of reasons. One, they're actually in the much smaller contact center deployments mm -hmm. uh, today, and they're sort of peeking up into our space, but we're, we're much uh, more high-end in terms of the size of the enterprises that we're selling to. That's one reason. The second reason is that our buying motion is actually quite different. So when our buyers, our buying motion is this other main motion, which is the, the digitization motion, and that's not a UC refresh. Yeah. So we don't bump into them that much, candidly. Our strategy on that front is, you know, look, we got to compete with them as they move up market. That's clear. To do that, we need those partnerships around Zoom and Microsoft and these other vendors. So we sort of have an open, you know, open for business with all UC partners approach. Yeah. On the higher end of the market, you have these new platform players, call them Amazon and Twilio, who have had, um, you know, a, a lot of noise that we mainly hear at these conferences and actually not really in the customer base, so we're not really seeing them yet. The fundamental thesis behind the Amazon and Twilio uh, move into this space is that contact center is interesting and important, A. B, some customers are underserved and need a platform with APIs that they can sort of code to, and they'll probably have developers who will want to do that. 
And we estimate that that's something south of, you know, 10% of the market where there's an opportunity. It's a big market, as I said, yeah. you know, 24 billion. So I think there's a segment that if they're successful, both on a product uh, platform and a go-to-market side, they could they could sort of carve out a piece of the market for themselves. Um, but that remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're really not there yet. We made an acquisition recently uh, along this line. So the again, the thesis that of these platform players is that, you know, uh, it's really hard to take a off-the-shelf SaaS product and make it work for your large enterprise. Therefore, what you need is a platform with APIs, and that's what Amazon and Twilio are good at. They are platform companies. We acquired a company called Wendu because what we were seeing with our, which is an integration platform as a service that we're embedding into 5.9, and what that does is allow for all that customization uh, without writing any code. So it's a low-code, no-code visual workflow editor that the contact center operations people can use to customize their product. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing a lot of success initially with that product and before we acquired them actually at helping larger enterprises deal with these corner case integration cases uh, where the only sort of alternative was to go to the code and to use APIs and so on. So this is is somewhat of our sort of competitive uh, reaction to that. So that's kind of how it breaks down. And then in the core segment of the market, you know, our main competitor is in contact. It's a largely a, dual, a duopoly. Um, the third, you know, place in that, in that com- competition is Genesis, mm-hmm. uh, but they're quite far behind. Uh, and so we really see, gen- you know, sort of in contact and us in a head-to-head race for this market mm-hmm. in the main part of this ed- enterprise segment. And what both of us are doing, uh, but I think we're m- probably getting more acceleration on this front, is actually moving up into these even larger enterprise accounts. So that's the race right now is to transition this base uh, up into the, the larger and larger enterprise. Got it. Um, you know, I think for people searching for what that AI use case is, contact center is kind of that perfect AI use case. You know, can you just give a sense of what you've been trialing with customers over the past couple of years and, you know, what you finally, yeah. you know, just gone GA with on, on some... Yeah, we're not GA yet, so that's the this year thing. Um, yeah. But the AI opportunity in the contact center is very easy to understand. Uh, for every, you know, uh, $1 of technology spend in the contact center, you have $10 of labor spend. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so people are very expensive, and it's a people-heavy operation. What the people do, contact center reps, is largely rote and repetitive tasks. You know, some, some big chunk of their tasks are, are relatively repetitive and rote. And so therefore are sort of open to automation and particularly now open to automation with AI. Yeah. So they've, the advent of deep learning is opening up a lot of doors for uh, much more effective automation of the, the routine tasks those agents are doing. So our longer term game plan with AI is to say, look, uh, Without having to think about transforming anything about the service you deliver to your customers or anything else, let's talk about how we can make your agents more efficient. I'll give you a very simple example. Uh, a big chunk of an agent's daily time, it's about, about 10% of the time that an agent spends. If it's a 10-minute phone call, they typically tend to spend about one minute doing post-call wrap-up, which is they open up your customer record, they type in the notes, oh, Joe called about this, no, 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 no and you know, clicking on a few fields so that they can have some data about that call, that is sort of perfect for AI. So you can imagine, translate the call in real time using automatic speech recognition into text. Do use NLP to do text summarization and inject into the record the, automat- the automated call wrap up. So that's one simple use case yeah. we've been working on with one of our customers. 
Another customer in the healthcare space that we shared at our financial analyst day, McKesson, are looking at a much more advanced use case that's around compliance. Mm -hmm. So they've got a lot of human beings that sit around manually listening to phone calls, spot checking agents, and their agents need to comply with a lot of uh, regulations around issuing proper disclosure to customers. So they'll listen in on these calls, and when they find an agent every once in a while not doing the right thing, they have to pull them in and train them and blah, blah, blah. They want to use the technology to automatically recognize those scenarios. So in real time, figure out, ah, the customer is talking about this drug and that drug. Mm -hmm. We know that when that happens, we need to ask these certain questions. So the technology recognizes that in real time and pops up a compliance form for the agent, and they can say, oh, ask this, ask this, check, check, check. So that will actually save McKesson lots of money in their quality management function. They've got dozens and dozens of people. That's all they do. So that's the second example of AI. Yeah. The long-term opportunity, again, here is huge. It's $250 billion of very inefficient spend mm -hmm. that's being spent on people that are delivering a service that basically no one likes. I mean, customer service globally is not like on the top list of things that people love about dealing with companies. And, you know, it's almost like a nightmare. Call in, go through the runaround, you can't talk to an agent. That's not the future. Right. And the technology is what's going to enable the surplus of spend to make that experience better. And it's going to have to come from making those agents more efficient. We sit on six billion minutes of recorded phone calls per year. Uh, and that's the sort of the grist for the mill of AI machine learning training data. So this huge, I said, I think unprecedented data set that we can yeah. use to train these models to do the two simple examples I gave you earlier. So there's big upside, but it's a, a long-term horizon. And so how do we think of the interplay between, clearly you guys have the data, you have the customer interaction, um, along with kind of some of the more AI partners like Google or you know anybody else kind of playing more on the yeah. analytics side of it? So our strategy has been to leave the, the primitives to the cloud vendors. So what you're seeing evolve right now amongst the, 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 the uh, you know, hyperscale cloud vendors, so Microsoft with Azure and Google and, and Amazon, is um, number one, voice is becoming a native capability of all computing, right? We see that starting with Amazon and Google Home Assistant and that Siri. And yeah. So essentially what's happening is all the vendors, and Apple included, have to make voice a native part of computing. So what, that, what that's making is real-time, high-quality transcription technology um, easily accessible mm -hmm. and at a low cost. So the cost curve is coming way down. And it's now achieved human levels of accuracy, 95%. And if you look at Google's who has the best today, if you've used Google Home or Google Assistant, it's shockingly good and shockingly fast. So that's why we partner with Google. Yeah. And it starts with getting the, that, what that does is very important. It turns the voice channel from an analog stream into a digital channel. Once it's a digital channel, you can compute it. What does it mean you can compute it? Well, we can also leverage Google's NLP technology, natural language processing, make sense of a real-time stream of conversation data. Okay. So we're, we're also leveraging that technology stack from Google. But it's a very competitive field right now. Amazon has Lex and Poly uh, underneath the covers. Uh, Microsoft has their own. Yeah, IBM even are doing their own thing. Yeah. And there's a whole host of startups. So I would say uh, there's a very long sort of Chinese menu that's available to us to choose from around which primitives we can bring to bear. Our job is not to do that core work. Yeah. Uh, but actually to do the assembling and the deployment of that applied to specific contact center use cases. Okay. Um, 
I have a whole list of questions, but given that we're kind of getting closer to time, um, you know, you've noted that you have um, a long tail to kind of be able to grow in the high teens or you know into the 20s as you have been growing for the past couple of you know call it five years. Um, you've also been remarkably profitable. So where do you think of kind of the trade-off of you know investing for growth, but also kind of continuing along the trade? where you've been and what is the biggest contributor to that growth going forward? Is it expanding into some of these AI use cases? Is it just cloud adoption or is it kind of channel, exploiting the channels available to you? Sort of all of the above. I mean, over the last two years, you've seen our top line growth accelerate into the high 20s yep. um, with last year, uh, you know, coming in the high 20s. And so that acceleration is partially a function of the fact that our enterprise business is growing is 81% of our business now and is our enterprise subscriptions are growing in the 30s. And what we forecast to the street is that that enterprise subscription, which is half of our business today, uh, is going to continue with the three handle for the foreseeable future, which is really just based on the underlying market dynamics yeah. of demand and our ability to execute. Um, so we're going to continue to see that grow, and then just mathematically you're going to see that sort of flow through. We are taking a uh, prudent approach to how we manage the business. Um, you know, we want an all-weather kind of company that has both top and bottom line strength, and I think that's especially relevant given the scenarios that we're sort of seeing around coronavirus and other yeah. disruption. Um, much harder to navigate those kind of waters when it's a growth at all costs scenario. So we're not a growth at all costs. We're a balanced, digestible growth story. We think growing in the high 20s is a great place to be, especially with 18% EBITDA, which is what we had last year, and we'll continue that going to this year. We're also seeing continued monotonic almost expansion of our gross margins, mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of just being driven by the underlying factors of growth in the business, so mathematically that just continues to increase. So we have software in the uh, 60s and 70s going to the 80s, which makes sense for a business as we get to scale, and we have um, on the usage part of our business margin solidly in the 50s. Uh, so we have a very nice uh, uh, story in terms of our ability to increase leverage in the business uh, and drive that growth over a long, long period of time. Got it. Um, well, we're at time, but again, 5.9 is a great story if you're looking for a market at early, early innings of cloud adoption and early use cases of AI. So Awesome. Thank you, Mina. Thanks so much. Thank you, everyone.